Uh, here in RUF, we believe that you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. That the most important thing about us is God's loving kindness and grace towards us. Um, that we are actually defined by, by God, by who he is, by his movement towards us, by his love towards us. That, that's why we gather here. Uh, is to understand that more and more. Um, So this semester in RUF, we are looking at the Beatitudes, which are some of the very first words that Jesus says in all of the New Testament, in Matthew. Uh, That in Matthew 4, he proclaims an announcement. And here's what he says. He says, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here, right now. Therefore, repent. So in other words, turn, walk towards this kingdom. Walk towards it. Walk in this kingdom. It's here. My reign has arrived. God's rule is now. And so the question becomes, what will it look like? for those of us who, who actually decide to do this, who, who walk in God's kingdom. That if Jesus were to be interviewed and asked this question, hey, Jesus, what are your people like? You know, you're a king. What, what, is, what is your kingdom like? What are your people in your kingdom like? He would say the Beatitudes. He would say these characteristics. So they're important for us to understand what to actually expect as disciples of Jesus, that these beatitudes, these character qualities, uh, they aren't just things that we just try really hard to do. That we just look at them and we're like, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to do it. Uh, That we do these things so that God will bless us. That's actually not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, He's saying that as you walk in his kingdom, As a kingdom citizen, this is actually how you're going to look. This is what life in the kingdom will look like. This is what will be true about you as a kingdom citizen, as a Christian. Which it's kind of interesting because often I think what we value in Christians, as Christians, a lot of times it isn't necessarily what what Jesus actually really highlights here. It's kind of interesting. Um, And so ultimately, this way of life, this way of being in the world, uh, I'm trying to convince you that is the best thing for us. And I think this is important for us to realize because sometimes we get this idea, maybe y'all have gotten this idea, that in order to be a Christian, what really Christianity is, is really just kind of missing out on all sorts of kind of fun things that maybe other people get to experience. You know, you, you can't have sex before marriage or, uh, you know, you can't, you can't sleep around. You can't sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, or uh, you can't get drunk, can't just party it up, can't do all of these like things that you see others doing that you're kind of like, you know what, that actually looks a lot of fun. I kind of want that, especially in college, right? You know, maybe, maybe some of you are here tonight and you're actually really struggling with this balance, uh, of wanting to do certain things that you know maybe as a Christian you can't do. 
And that actually becomes all of what Christianity is to you. Just, just giving up this idea that you get to do what you want. And I think we get this idea that, that life with Jesus is, is really just the boring life. You know, they have jokes, but they're just cheesy Christian jokes, you know, you can laugh at. But, uh, you know, it, it's a life that basically you just give up fun stuff that Jesus is ultimately holding out on you. But what if Jesus's path actually will produce in you the most flourishing, the most enjoyment, the most happiness, the most contentment? What I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying that walking the life of a Christian isn't hard at times or isn't costly. It is. However, Understand that we always sacrifice for the things we really love. Like, for instance, uh, Val and I, we just had Maddie, right? And so with that, certainly all these things uh, that are very, very unpleasant come up. And I could list them, but you could probably imagine them uh, for Maddie's survival, for Maddie's welfare. But here's the thing. It is so worth it. Not just for Maddie, but it's worth it for us. Like, she is the reward. She is the reward. We get, we get her, this, this little person. And so it is with the Christian life. God, he wants you to have the greatest reward. That's why Jesus says things like, whoever loses his life for my sake, he'll find it. That you don't give up things just because God just wants you to be miserable just wants you to, you know, just not have fun. No, you give them up because God loves you so much and wants you to, he wants to reorder the things you love and find pleasure in. He wants to restore you. And ultimately, this is what the Beatitudes are. They're kind of a, you know, the kingdom uh, making tread with the earth, with, with, with our lives that walking the life of a Christian, it, it looks different than others, but actually it's the path of you meeting your deepest longings. Today we're studying the first beatitude. Uh, last week we kind of did an overview. Today, today we're just going to be reading Matthew 5.3. I'll just read it out. Um, and it is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll unpack this a little bit. Dear God, we, um, we actually fail to recognize how much we need you. We fail to see that uh, we rely on you for everything. From the, from the very breath that we just inhaled uh, to sitting here tonight, walking on campus, getting here, being with each other. We, we fail to see our need of you. And so God, be with us tonight. Help us to see how much we really need you, how poor in spirit we really are. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so, 
On my schedule every morning lately, um, I get up before, before I go to the office or come to campus, and I drop my son, Wynn, off at preschool. And so this has been kind of a daily, uh, just a, a daily routine. Uh, so me and Wynn, we get on the road, and we typically talk about, uh, you know, what his day is going to be like, what he's excited about. You know, I'm, I'll ask him if he's going to TT or poo-poo in the potty. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sing Paw Patrol together. You know, it probably looks a lot like some of y'all's, uh, morning routine, right? Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. And so lately we'll, we'll pull up, we'll pull up to school and, uh, what has been happening when we arrive at school is I'll pull up and I'll walk around and I'll, I'll get him out and then I'll give him his little water cup and he'll hop out of the car and then he'll say, daddy. I'm a big boy. And I'll say, yeah, when I am so proud of you. And, uh, and then he'll say immediately after that, daddy, pick me up and hold me and carry me to class. <laughs> and I'll say, when you're a big boy, uh, you don't need to be carried. You're, you're a big boy. You can walk into class. And then his response lately has been this daddy. Yes. Big boys need to be carried. And I, you know, I think what Wynn is really, what he's trying to do in that moment is really just get this last moment with me of, uh, of just being held, his last bit of security uh, before he, he goes on for his day. And, um, and actually, as I think about this statement, yes, daddy, big boys need to be carried. It actually makes me think of this verse that, that we're looking at, that often here's what we do in our lives. We think that maturity comes through being independent, uh, relying on ourselves, actually just getting through life without needing others, without needing to be held. That this is actually the sign of, uh, that the sign of what it means to be immature um, is to, to actually show weakness of those who don't really have it together. Um, that we often believe that we are actually big boys and girls when we don't need to be carried. That's why a lot of you here today, actually, um, are really, really not doing very well. Are actually really, really struggling. And the last thing you want to do is actually let people see that. This is why that is. Because we, we think that we are supposed to actually have it together, that, that actually you are mature when you don't show weakness, when you don't show vulnerability. It, it's a sign that you um, are really not doing things the right way uh, when you let people in, especially in Christian circles. I mean, think about it. Blessed are those who relate well to others and um, know how to talk to people. Blessed are those who are good-looking and attractive. Blessed are uh, those who are really smart and know everything to say, that they just know all the right answers. Uh, blessed are those who are well-connected and liked. Blessed are those who really uh, have it together, are really doing things the right way, and are accomplishing their goals. And Jesus says here this, blessed are those who are in utter bankruptcy. 
Meaning that when they go to the spiritual bank, they have completely empty hands. They don't have anything to give. And Jesus says, blessed are them. What if what Jesus is saying here is that you actually experience the kingdom of heaven? That is God's ruling here right now, a life of maturity, a life of flourishing, when you recognize that there is never a moment that you don't need to be carried by your dad. And the kingdom of heaven is for those that understand they don't have it together. They don't know everything. They aren't able to get to school without their daddy holding them. Blessed are them. And so if Jesus is saying that this is so crucial to actually walking in his kingdom, to having your deepest longing satisfied, to truly changing and maturing, then we need to reflect on what the heck this actually is. What does it actually mean to be poor in spirit? And so I just want to briefly look at two things that sort of exhibit a life of being poor in spirit. And so here's the first thing, that being poor in spirit, it exemplifies a life of humility. A life of humility. So what does it mean to be humble? I think uh, it's helpful to recognize what humility looks like um, in Jesus's day with this crowd of people. Uh, Sometimes we think humility, it is uh, to be self-deprecating or uh, sort of not boasting about our accomplishments, just kind of holding back, you know, and be humble, you know, or, or trying to put others' attention kind of away from ourselves, right? But that's not necessarily what humility is. Uh, in a way, that sort of humility actually does get you something um, because it kind of gets you respect. It's kind of a humble, humble brag in, in some ways. But in Jesus's day, humility, it would have been looked at as a very bad thing. Like you weren't really considered If you were humble, you were lowly, you or your family or your work, uh, it was considered not very valuable. It's humble. It's lowly. So in other words, the mentality of humility, this, this mentality, it's actually just admitting that you are not what you actually want to be. It's admitting that you are actually in that place, that you admit that, that you can admit that, that you, that you know that. Now, some of you here, this is actually outwardly kind of easy for you, like that, that you're not who you want to be. So maybe some of you, um, you know, you got to college and maybe you went through a season of being free for the first time. You realized maybe um, some of the rules that kind of were holding you down, you were just doing to please your parents. And so you kind of get free. You kind of live a little bit, um, you know, dangerously. You know, you, you do things you, you know are probably bad decisions. Um, And you know outwardly that that there are things that you do or are doing or maybe want to do that aren't exactly everything you know is right or good. And a place of humility is actually knowing that and recognizing it, right? Saying, hey, I didn't do the right thing. But some of you here, it actually could be a little bit more inward. Here's what I mean. You may actually be doing everything right, like you're, you're doing what your parents wanted you to do. You're coming here. You're, you're going to church. You're, you know, get, hanging with the right friends. You're, you're doing a, a good job. Um, you're keeping up with your schoolwork. You're getting involved. But then here's what happens. You look at those that seemingly aren't doing right, and, and maybe some of you are super judgmental about them. 
Maybe you despise your roommate. Maybe you, you are constantly passing along and seeing people with sort of a different lifestyle and really are judging them. And you might outwardly not be committing any kind of wrong, but in, inwardly you're, you're super prideful. And often that's not seen. That's not seen by others. Sometimes it's not even seen by ourselves. It reminds me of when Jesus, he gives this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, and he says in Luke 18, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You know, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says that the tax collector is the one who is justified. Why is that? Because he humbles himself. That's the one who is exalted in his kingdom. The one who knows he doesn't have it. And Jesus is saying that this picture, this recognition that we actually don't measure up in the way that we desire, that our admission that we are vulnerable, that we are weak, that we are poor, you are the ones that belong to me. You are the ones that belong to me. So how do you know if you're spiritually humble? Well, this might be one way of sort of determining whether uh, you're not spiritually humble. Uh, if you're honest, when you really look at the cross, when you really kind of meditate on really kind of what Jesus has done, like it's cool, right? Like it's nice. But, it, you know, you're sort of indifferent. You know, maybe you're sort of confused as to why Jesus, you know, it makes sense why he died for a lot of other people, but I'm, I'm not terrible. I haven't done, you know, committed terribly heinous acts. You know, you, you have been relatively good, right? Generally, you've done what you're supposed to do in life. And so you hear that Jesus died for you. And it's nice. You know, you're able to recognize that and be thankful. But ultimately, it doesn't really affect your life too much. Because, you know, you're sort of okay. But know this, true spiritual humility, true spiritual poverty, that there is really nothing within us that is any different than the worst sinners that we see. That when you look at that roommate that you despise or you judge with their lifestyle and spiritual humility will actually say, you can actually admit that the seeds for all of those same things, they're also within you. It's walking into this room and actually admitting that you are in the same place as the very worst sinner. 
It's being able to admit where you are really at. It's why no matter what you say, when, when we get together for one-on-ones, um, maybe you, you've, you finally disclosed to me some things. You finally get to this place of like talking about urges you've had or lust you've had or thoughts you've had or things you've done. It's actually why maybe I might just stare at you and say, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you need Jesus. Me too. Me too. Praise God. That we always recognize that we are people who are helpless without God's help. That this is actually the character of spiritual poverty. Now here's the question. Why is this the blessed life? Why is this the blessed life? Why is this way of being the first thing that Jesus says in his sermon? And that's because not only does being poor in spirit exemplify a life of humility, but it exemplifies a life of thankfulness. There's a reason Jesus starts here, because every single command he is about to give in the Sermon on the Mount will actually take us right back to this spot. That if you are actually serious about walking through this life and following Jesus, you will fall back here again and again and again and again. Your life will continuously be one of recognizing how much you have not fully accomplished it. How you haven't fully accomplished what Jesus has done, uh, his commands, what he wants. In other words, you will continuously recognize your spiritual poverty. Your need for God, because of all the ways you haven't fully done, what you really want. Now, this could lead to a life of hopelessness, right? Like you just can't fully get there. You just continuously don't measure up. You, uh, it, you know, that could be depressing if you don't also recognize this. An old, pra- uh, an old preacher used to say this when someone was really struggling with their fallenness and their brokenness. He would say, you know what? Cheer up. Because you actually don't recognize how bad you really are. You are way worse than you even know. But then he would say this, but also know this, you are far, far more loved than you ever dreamed. You're way worse than you ever even imagined, but you are far more loved than you ever even hoped. Augustine, St. Augustine, he said this, God gives where he finds empty hands a life of spiritual poverty, that I think one of the reasons Jesus starts off with this beatitude is to fully show us his utter grace and mercy to people who least deserve it. That the gospel starts with grace. It starts with God moving towards people who have nothing, who provide nothing, who give nothing and need everything. That is who God wants a people who know that there is nothing they can give because he actually wants to give you everything. That the life of spiritual poverty isn't a people who just walk around just looking like Eeyores. You know, just moping around, walking through life, feeling like they just, you know, I'm just no good. That's not what this, this does. Don't miss the promise that's attached here. Those who have nothing, 
are the ones who receive everything. Those who actually recognize their need of God are living the good life and will be with him forever. So what does this do? It should produce thankfulness. It should actually produce gratitude. The kingdom of heaven is yours. You think you have nothing? You think you are nothing? You think you fail or don't measure up? Aren't good enough? Can't get past that one thing you've done again and again and again. You go right back to it. Understand that God wants to give you everything in that place. He wants you to come to the end of yourself so that you can actually be met with joy, with thankfulness, with gratitude in him. Because you actually, grace is actually a gift. It's actually a gift then. A famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he said this. So he he tells the story of walking through this poor section of London. uh, And he passes by this window where he sees this poor old woman who is sitting in her apartment. And he sees that all she has in there is just this little table, a chair, and just one single coal on the fire on this cold winter day. And she's sitting there with this tiny little loaf of bread. And Spurgeon says he hears her prayer. And all she says is this, all this and Jesus too? That I think the grace of being poor in spirit, that the blessing that actually comes from this is that then everything you receive from God really is amazing. You aren't indifferent. You're, you, you live a life of joy because of the wonder and awe of God's grace every single second of the day. That if he doesn't actually owe us anything, then whatever we receive, we are completely in awe of his mercy. This is actually the paradox, right? That those of you who are the most vulnerable, the most in need, they are also the most joyful when they recognize that God meets them there. Why? Because every single bit of God's grace is such a beautiful, wonderful gift to them. It really does mean so much. Because they don't deserve it. And they know that. Do you know that? Do you actually feel that? Do you actually crave that? You know, some of you, I've talked to you, you get really frustrated by this idea that God has, has not given you actually what you think you need. You know, maybe you think you need a girlfriend. Maybe you think you need a, a boyfriend. Um, maybe you think you need some sort of provision from God. Maybe, uh, maybe a sign, maybe a feeling. You know, uh, some sort of, you know, provision uh, that you can receive from him. And when you don't get it, you get angry. And you get frustrated. Also, please know I've been there. <laughs> I know that feeling. But maybe one of the reasons you feel angry about that is because you feel like you deserve what it is you want God to actually just really give you. And what if God actually is withholding from you in order to provide you with this spirit of poverty? What if he actually wants you to know how much in need you really are Because then you will experience the joy and satisfaction and thankfulness, not in the things that God gives you, but in God, in God himself. 
Do you want to delight in God? Or do you want to just get what he gives you? So as I close, I said earlier um, that Augustine, he said God gives where he finds empty hands. Well, he also said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in thee. That the life of being poor in spirit is actually a life of rest. Because it is actually in this way that we are most satisfied in the ways that God abundantly gives us all we need. More and more and more of it. That constantly going to him with empty hands, we're actually able to to fully understand more of who he is. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for just all the ways that you provide for us. That, uh, that God, it's, it's really easy to actually recognize how fragile we are. Uh, I think the hard thing uh, is actually being okay with that and understanding that you actually meet us there. That we often just work and work and work to not be that way. But God, I, I pray that you would actually put all of us in a place of humility, of longing to want you and understanding more and more of how much we need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.